You're listening to The Extra Real with Jerry Brown and Colm Ryan for a look at the bigger picture of film. With films from around the world. Through the decades. From movies you know and love. To movies you need to discover. On this week's show, we take a look at the 1990 western, Quigley Down Under. In it, we're going to take a look at the plot synopsis, we're going to look at an overview of the production history, and after that, we're going to take a look at things that stood out for both of us. Quigley Down Under follows an American sharpshooter who is recruited under the pretense of shooting dingoes at a cattle station in the 1870s in Australia. But when he gets there, it transpires that it's to shoot Aborigines instead. So after a series of unfortunate events, it basically turns into Die Hard in the Outback. <laughs> and to complete that circle, we've got uh, Alan Rickman as the main antagonist, Elliot Marston. Um, so, uh, I suppose... Before we launch into any of the overview stuff, I have to. We've got a couple of confessions. This is like my millionth time watching this film. This is a film that I've, I've come to. I suppose really when I was quite young, and back in the good old days of video, and I call him. This is your virgin watch of this film. This is yeah. This is this is the first time I've seen it. I guess it's happens with a lot of westerns though, because you're such a big fan. Yeah, uh, that you might have seen some multiple times, and I do like westerns, but it's not like my genre or anything. Um. So I'm always, I always do enjoy these episodes, though, where you're like, I've seen this film 25 times. You've seen it once. Let's see what our experiences are, you know? Yeah. Um, but you've recommended this to me a lot of times down through the years. And, yeah. Uh, it was good to finally see it. That's one way of looking at it anyway. So let's, <laughs> so let's look at it. <laughs> let's, let's reserve any judgment until the end, because I still don't know. I still haven't actually asked you, no. did you like it or not? So let's get on to that later so but first i just want to talk a little bit about just the overview an overview of the production itself before we even get there and just to kind of give us a bit of a context around what's going on so this is a this is a project that had been offered to tom Selleck, who plays quite matthew quigley in this uh, a couple of years before and prior to that it had been optioned around to a couple of different stars everyone from the likes of steve, steve mcqueen, McQueen. Harrison Ford was in there. I've heard Sean Connery was off, also offered yeah. it. So it's been kind of floating around since Clint the 70s. Eastwood. I've heard Clint Eastwood as well, actually. And apparently Selick was tied up at Magnum P.I. It seems like a common thing for him. Uh, around 85 when he was first offered it and couldn't do it. And I think around 88 he got the chance to come back to them and say, come here, is that still floating around? I'd, I'd love to do it. Yeah. Different directors were in place to do it. Eventually it was uh, directed by Simon Windsor, but it had at, at one stage in the early, in the mid 80s, Lewis Gilbert, you know, who did Educating Rita and lots of Bond films, was also in the, in the running to do it. And, you know, so it eventually got made and, and released roughly around the same time as Dances with Wolves, which led to it being christened in some of the press, Dances with Dingoes. Um, of course, and Dan- didn't the, the, yeah. the writer, uh, um, was it, who was the writer? The original writer was uh, John Hill, right? Yeah. But when Simon Windsor came onto it, wasn't it a case that uh, this guy Ian Jones was brought in? Yeah. Because they had some of the kind of Australian parts completely wrong or something like that. 
and that's it and that it needed that polish and you can see that it, it i think that's one of the things yeah. that winter brings to the film in general is that it doesn't feel like a travelogue movie you could imagine if it was an american or something like that someone like that directing it uh, that it may have become like some sort of travelogue where you've got loads of, there aren't loads of shots of the, the animals and stuff like that where it becomes a curiosity piece i'm thinking of films like the for Zinnemann's the sundowners where sequences of it feel feel like they got you know david attenborough's stock footage and just rammed it in in between there are some shots <laughs> of kangaroos but there's not loads of like gratuitous um here's something for the tourist stuff um which i think is handy and that no, has and to it come. do that thing as well where also you know when you watch australian films and it's like it has to show like how hot it is and how humid it can be and it's like bugs flying on people's faces and stuff like that it doesn't do as much of that either no not like the proposition um, yeah no nothing like the proposition no um which is grand nor does it do like i don't know if you've seen the thorn birds directed by daryl duke but um that mini series was shot most entirely in america and there's a couple of shots of kangaroos uh, which are clearly it's like stock footage shoehorned in and you can just see that yeah. the landscape isn't quite right whereas this this was shot in western australia so around warrnambool and apollo bay and um, also in the Northern Territory around Alice Springs and like a lot of the cast there's a lot of cast and crew stories from around from experiences around Alice Springs so we maybe deal with that later when we're talking about the cast but um, yeah so that's where it was roughly shot so it's great that it was actually shot in the actual locations and or well not in actual locations but you know in actually in Australia which helps Um, so that's that side of it um we've got loads to talk about um also i suppose just prior to to um to doing this simon Winsor, i mean couldn't be better placed to take this project on in that he had done a lot of robust action and horse uh, related pieces so he was a producer on um the man from snowy river in 1982 he was uh, director of the Light Horseman, which is an energetic, um, exciting uh, World War One picture, which was actually rehashed for um, an India young Indiana Jones episode. He took a big chunk of stock footage, which he directed as he well. Directed that, yeah. Episode and also, of course, Windsor directed uh, Lonesome Dove, which. Uh, was a huge hit. I mean, a massive, massive hit. Multiple Emmys and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, often cited as one of the greatest westerns of the last uh, thirty or so years, and greatest modern westerns. Um, Western fans, I'm a big fan of it. It's 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 a great piece of work. And like as a of all of the Lonesome Dove uh, miniseries, the first is the best. Um, but also that ties slightly to the casting of Selick because. Prior to to this, um, Windsor had tried to get him for um, for uh, Lonesome Dove to play the part of the ill-fated uh, Jake Spoon, and that part went to Robert Urich instead. But um, of course, Selick himself had a bit of a, a past in westerns. Yes, Magnum PI, and you know uh, he obviously had the connection with Indiana Jones, which has that has its own connections with escapist adventure and stuff like that um yeah. but um Selick had starred in the sackets in 1979 and also in the shadow riders which was kind of an unofficial 
kind of sequel but not really to the Sackets uh, and not anywhere near as successful despite having some of the same cast and the partnership with Sam Elliott in it and would also go on to do more films with um, with Windsor all westerns so he would do um, Crossfire Trail was one right Crossfire Trail which is quite yeah. decent and Monty Walsh which is a good film but it stands in the shadow of the classic 1970 original and uh, so Selick and Windsor have a great relationship and Windsor generally speaking I like his films I like his action output I think Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man is the one that I like the least I think it's an atrocious film which is a bit disappointing to say but he also did Lightning Jack for Paul Hogan which is watchable and entertaining in its own way but so that's that's roughly where we where we begin with just the the uh, some of the production information and some of the information around uh, around the production team so let's talk a little bit about the film um so from the point of view of the cast what are we thinking here it's a strange one isn't it the cast because uh a lot of the act like the the two main leads really well no, well taking out alan rickman but I'm, I'm talking about more like uh quigley and crazy cora yeah when you're talking about tom Selleck and um laura sanjacoma you're you're actors that are kind of to my knowledge, anyway, I always think of them more as actors I've seen on TV shows mm-hmm. after yep. this. So it's kind of a strange feeling seeing them, you know, as leads in the film. But they do they do have great chemistry and they do, like, work together really well, you know. Um, also, it's kind of interesting to see uh, baby Ben Mendelsohn jump yeah, in there absolutely. as O'Flynn, which is a strange one. Because I, I hadn't seen much of Ben Mendelsohn's earlier output, you know. Yeah. Um, so and I hadn't read. I was looking. I was looking through the cast list as we were watching this. And I was like, "Where's Ben Mendelsohn? I can't see him anywhere." And then, oh, the guy with the red hair. <laughs> and he's actually really good in it you to know? the point where he is retained he is. to the final shootout, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. And you've also got Tony Bonner, who's another Australian actor that has cropped up in an awful lot of other Simon Windsor films, but also had been in international affairs type uh, films uh, since the late seven, since the early seventies. Perhaps even earlier, but films like uh, You Can't Win Them All with Charles Branson, which was set in Turkey. And so he's, he's been around the block. He's a brilliant look, doesn't he? What? He's a great look. He looks like he's chiseled out of granite or something. He's yeah. He's a brilliant look on him. Yeah, he's great. And then, of course, Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, who is just... In, this is kind of sandwiched between Die Hard and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, yeah. And I've seen I've seen a few articles where they're like rating, oh, this is the... This is the um, the Alan Rickman villain role you haven't seen or whatever and um, for a lot of people that's the case and I've seen it rated as the, the least of the three and looking back at it yesterday I was kind of going I was going to, initially I went really what and then I, I mean I looked at the <laughs> film and I kind of went he doesn't have as much screen time as he does have in um, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and even though he's Definitely. got plenty, plenty of good one-liners in this, he doesn't have the same amount of screen time. So I was like, mm, no. yeah. And then Die Hard. Well, Die Hard is the best of the three. So maybe just by a whisker, it's just below Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for me. But he doesn't. He didn't really kind of wallow in this villainy much after this. Um, no, this was kind of his villain period, wasn't it? it was yeah. Like, strange, really, that he didn't. Um, but he is great in this. And I do like, as you say, he isn't in it much. No. But sometimes 
that's that could be the greatness of a villain that they're not in it much but the kind of the shadow of the villain is always there you know and one thing that this film has going for it and it's a big criticism that i have about a lot of films is that the villain is properly villainous he's a nasty piece yeah. of stuff he's also a buffoon but he's properly villainous which helps no completely 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 straight from his introduction you know this guy's not good news you know marston is a you bastard really exactly yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's a great yeah, introduction definitely. like the fact even we're talking I love films where we're talking about a character before we meet them so it's built up we're talking about Marston's land we're two days on it already all of that sort of stuff it's brilliant yeah it's, I think it's about 20 minutes yeah, yeah. into the film before you actually meet him isn't it it is and maybe that could be like it's something that I have felt is a problem in the pacing of the film in that if I have one criticism it could be that that it takes 20 minutes for 20 to 30 minutes for the film to really find its stride and when it does it kicks into a very into a different gear again um so yeah the cast is impressive and even i think when when selick was cast um like he kind of went like one of the things that he had was that he wanted the weapons to be authentic to the time that he didn't want them to be to predate the period that they should have been in or whatever or yeah, to, sorry not sorry to be anachronistic to the to the to the time period and stuff so he picked out some of the weapons and stuff like that and and had something to do with the commissioning of the of the rifles they had three different rifles on set one as a backup one for shooting one for doing any kind of club work or any of that sort of stuff and th- this is the thing i didn't realize selick was uh a member of the NRA. Mm, yeah. And this isn't this isn't to go against him as well. This no. isn't to be like, oh, he's a big MAGA head or he loves yeah, Trump yeah, or anything yeah. like that. I mean, he actually isn't on either side. He's not a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. But he does like guns. And, yeah. You know, he is into them. And I didn't realize that. Now, I feel like the gun, like the Sharps rifle or whatever, it's a character in the movie, isn't it? It is. It's a huge part. Like, it, it it's an impressive part of the film like because mm. the action sequences are well executed like there's a real impact when those bullets whip through guys or knock them off their feet and it's and the- even when he sets up the gun yeah like that kind of oh that kind of that's brilliant i love it because it just builds this tension because yeah he's slowly making it i thought that was amazing yeah it's great and the hair trigger and all of that extra stuff it's yeah. brilliant and uh like another thing that he did uh, that selick did was pick out his own costume so he brought that to it and i think i think that was very much in his mind that you know the type of character that he's playing is very much an archetypal western hero a la someone like john wayne and something like hondo and uh so you've got this broad shoulders kind of six foot four type persona and that was something that was important to him that everything looked right and he looks quite like i don't want to say he looks unique but the um the costuming is it's memorable you remember the hat you remember the blue shirt to the point you when you recognize you know at the end you notice that it's been changed to red or whatever but yeah it 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 it, it he looks distinct in, in amongst the characters and, and that's important what i liked about the character in a sense i felt at the start he was going to be almost infallible you know mm. but he's very much kind of a mortal being we see him get beaten up two or three times and i kind of did like that element because sometimes with films like this where you have this kind of hero who comes in from a faraway place and he's almost like this almost this kind of savior style character and yeah. that they almost never get hit or hurt or anything yeah and it was really kind of refreshing to see that in this that he does get caught he does get kind of beaten around the place that was yeah. really good 
I do feel like that one of the roles that Tom Selleck kind of missed out on was playing something like the Virginian, the Owen Wister character. He has this kind of noble Western hero in a way that, as I say, Don Wayne, for the most part in his career, did have, or someone like Gary Cooper as well. Uh, so he he is like an actor that or that existed 30 years too late and and very much became symptomatic of a lot of the tv westerns that emerged in the in the i suppose the 80s and the 90s where they were kind of harking back to that classic 50s um even 40s and 50s type of western hero to an extent um but uh, so yeah interesting from that point of view and also something that apparently uh, he um, also selected his horse. So like Don Wayne, Don Wayne always said like the horse needed to be like at least 16 hands. It needed to look the part, not be some sort of scrawny mule, you know. So that's also just another little nugget. So with the rest of the cast, um, the cast general is, is pretty, it's, it's a mixed bag to be fair but they all kind of yeah. inhabit their roles eventually to a certain extent like i think the mo- the one that stands out the most part for me is laura sanjay como and that she's not instantly likable you know she's a character that i've watched with other people and they've said oh she's a bit annoying but i love the way her character arc comes round, and i think there are some some scenes where she has some serious emotional heft and particularly the scene where she's talking about you know, smothering her own baby and stuff like that. And the scene with the dingoes, I think, is really well done. That is really... I really enjoyed that scene, actually. Um, and I just say, yeah, you do kind of find out her backstory and stuff like that. And you can you can understand a lot more why she is almost this kind of hysterical woman at the beginning. At yeah. first, I was the same. It did kind of annoy me. I was like, what what is going on here? Why is she like this? And why does she keep calling him Roy? But um, over time, when the arc... She does have more. I think she has probably the most developed arc, really, of all the characters. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's uh, let's talk about the the actual story and the script and stuff like that. How did you find it uh, overall? Uh, the script, I had a few issues with. Go on, um, hit me with them. I did. I did find that the fact that he just kind of took this job and traveled so far. And didn't seem to have a- ask any questions was kind of like, I was like, hmm, it's a bit strange. Yeah. Um, also, one thing, but I think it was kind of in a weird way. It's a weird one to have a gripe about because in ways the film doesn't work if it's not there. But the rifle itself, it's always beside him. It's like it's always beside him. Even when like when he gets kicked out of Marston's ranch and taken two days away, they leave him with the rifle. And I'm like, you see what this guy can do with this rifle? Why did you leave it with him? Do you know? That really, like, I was like, that was a bit strange to me. And I don't want to, like, spoil the film or anything like that. People haven't seen it. But, of course, the final kind of scenes, you know what I'm talking about, really. So this is the, are you talking about kind of villains kind of talking their way into something? Yes. Where they could have, yeah, okay, yes. yeah, yeah, okay. And and a scene slightly after that with a kind of element of magical realism, I thought it looked really cool. Mm. But I thought, in terms of how fast that happened, and I I felt that scene felt, I think they got that scene in because I was like, this looks visually really beautiful and stunning. Yeah. But I don't know if it is actually needed. Okay. Yeah. And look, I take all of those as criticisms, you know, I take, I, but, and I, for me, 
as I say, maybe I'm immune to some of some elements of those, but the one I'm not immune to is maybe a pacing thing in that it does maybe take a while to get going from. And yeah, like it, I take it totally from a character point of view. He seems pretty smart for the most part. But why the hell did he come so far without doing a little bit more research? But that's, <laughs> uh, that's neither. Yeah, that's that they're all pretty fair um, for me. um Let's move. As, okay, so let's move on to uh, what are, was there any other elements to study for you? Um, I did feel tonally at times. It was a strange shift in things. Um, there's a quite gruesome scene where uh, these Aborigines are pretty much getting thrown off a cliff. Um, yeah, and that was really kind of tough to watch. But then a few scenes later, the characters are kind of bantering back and forth again, and you're like, "Oh, this is just. I don't know if this fits for me." You know? Okay. Um, so definitely I found the tone at times. It tries to be a lot of different things, I think. It tries to be so many different things. It tries to be like a classic Western. It tries to have kind of elements of magical realism. Um, and I don't know if it all fits, you know. Right. Okay. Um, so what we have here is essentially, I feel like it's Die Hard in the Outback. Talk to me right. about those elements. Because I think those elements work. Like the action is really crisply directed. Each it bullet is. shot has real oomph. It's got that kind of... It's got Basil Polidorus riffing off the best elements of his RoboCop score. And the score is great, yeah. It's pulsating stuff at times. So it opens with this kind of Elmer Bernstein-esque uh, travelling piece where we see the the ship sailing to Australia. And then you've got the action cues, which are just thrilling and you know i just think it has those elements and it those elements by god do they work you know and it's got lashings of action um and as an action film i feel like it 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 definitely gets two thumbs up for me how did it, how did it come across for you did like did you find no, it satisfying film, it does no the action film elements are really good i love the the kind of climactic kind of shootout i thought that was amazing um there's a scene where you know this certain type of shot is referred to as a quigley yeah and that's something two that's people been, one bullet, yeah. and that's yeah. again that and yeah as you said that was that was really cool like there are like this is the thing about this film i don't think like as a whole does it work for me no but the brilliant elements in it the stuff that really does work really does work and i loved there's a, when he's first introduced, when he comes off the ship and he's walking and there's kind of this really cool kind of just kind of tracking shot behind him. And there's a few like that in the film. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as they say, look, that's 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 cool. Um, like, I, I think I've watched it to death and I think it's purely the, the, the people I've watched it with would be people who are just like, all I want to watch is an action film. And as an action film, I think it really works. I do think, yeah. I like. I definitely think from the point of view of the script and stuff, there are maybe pacing issues. There are definite character issues and stuff like that. But it depends on how, you know, nine times out of ten, we're kind of watching these things just to watch them for the crack. And, exactly, yeah. Exactly. And I think on that level, it totally works. Now, a couple of other things that I've, that I've kind of come across. Right. Or just my, my other final thoughts on this. Is it, yeah. This is like, I found this on Watch 13. What does someone think about this? What? <laughs> You're like, I found this on Watch number 13 of this film. What do people think about this? Yeah, but it, it is a bit like that, actually. Um, <laughs> but um, so just random fact. 
apparently there's a shooting competition and the winner of the women's section it gets the crazy cora award so that's some random okay. fact okay um that's uh it's a um a quigley buffalo shooting competition or something buffalo gun shooting competition interest so look that's randomly interesting the other thing i was kind of thinking about was well Australia, known for its bush ranger sagas and stuff like that. So Mad sure. Dog Morgan, In of the Damned, uh, what else? Chant to Jimmy Blacksmith to an extent. Um, and then you've got, so we've had those sort of films. And Quigley's kind of slotted in, and obviously things like kind of the poetic kind of stuff like uh, Man from Snowy River, Return from uh, the Man from Snowy River. So very much adventure orientated pieces. And. And actually, when I talk about the adventure elements, I'm thinking of things like, you know, if you look at there's some posters that were, were done for this film and they look like Indiana Jones posters from the, from the time. But they were done by a guy called... Do you called, think they had? Yeah. Same guy. Do you think they had Harrison Ford on the head? On his head at one stage, they mocked it up. Who knows? <laughs> but it was the same guy that did the, the, the some of the artwork, Drew Struzan, who's done, done oh, okay. like a lot of, the, like everything from Back to the Future, Back to the Future 3, which is interesting mm-hmm. because there was debates on what kind of outfit to put Michael J. Fox in to begin with. Yeah. So a lot of so so not the standard DVD box. That's just a kind of random stuff. But I think that some of the artwork from the time, we'll share it on the on the, the extra page, Facebook page. Sure. Was done by Drew Struzan, who I think is kind of he's semi retired now. But um or if not totally retired, but still quite active, you know, popping up on things like Twitter and stuff. So uh but his work like from the 70s and 80s just so impressive like if you look at any of the of the like classic uh artwork for a lot of films that we, people love yeah you it'll it's you know it's true true and um so that's interesting to me and the other thing is just putting this in the, in the place in its place i suppose from the point of view of australian films that have come since so like we've seen an awful lot of a lot more serious um outback i wouldn't even call them adventures outback uh um, dramas, films like The Proposition, yeah. films like The Sweet yeah. Country, dealing with um, the treatment of Aboriginals and stuff. And there's a new one with David Wenham, The Furnace, is coming out. And I'm thinking to myself, like, look, yes, there was there were serious films where, you know, the Australian New Wave had looked at, you know, serious aspects of the treatment of Aborigines in um, the Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, We Have the Never Never, and stuff like that. But I have a feeling that this is a this is a great opportunity for the Australians to look inward, but on an international level where they're able to look at that issue and uh, on the treatment of Aborigines and of those elements of genocide. So I think it's an important film that it's something that maybe it doesn't get the credit for because there are, as you as you highlighted, some massacre sequences of uh, Aborigines. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of put it in a similar zone as well to uh, yeah, American Westerns of the 50s, like Devil's Doorway, like Broken Arrow, um, which deal with the treatment of Indians. So I think it, it kind of, there's a, a lot of different elements in it, but I think what it does do is it puts it on a plate in a similar way to Dances with Wolves, in a similar way to Last of the Dogmen, but I think in a more entertaining and a more successful way than Last of the Dogmen. And at least... Um, in some ways on par with Dances with Wolves which is which very much deals with obviously the, the treatment of Indians so yeah. well it's it's more of a side element to Quigley I think I think it, it does offer up an interesting um, 
element on the debate of it to present it to an international audience um, in a mainstream piece but at least it gets the debate out there and I know at the time when Alan Rickman was interviewed by Bobby Wigand that uh, he was asked about you know did you have much interaction with the Aborigines and stuff and you know you can see in the film he doesn't share too many scenes apart from his butler and yeah. um, but he was saying that on set because they, I think they shot up in Alice Springs that they got lots of Aborigine extras from around the, the the country and that they came in busloads and that they would put on corroborations and perform their dances and tell stories and he said it was actually quite an emotional period for someone because they would get homesick and they would actually go on walkabouts and stuff like that And uh, but he got to know some of them he said i suppose his reaction was that they were very friendly people and so on and so forth but he said you know you can only speak in a very general sense but he didn't yeah, really course. have any major direct connections with them but i thought that was interesting wasn't uh, it one of the reasons he took on this film was because he hadn't been to australia and he exactly was like, i just want to go to australia but you know reason enough reason, reason enough. enough exactly Cool to see um, Ben Mendelsohn. I mean, recently I rewatched um, The Year My Voice Broke, which I would highly recommend to people. He plays a kind of a dysfunctional uh, juvenile delinquent, really, in that film. And his performance is really, really nuanced uh, in it. And... And he's um, in that like Noah, Noah Taylor's in that with him. Yeah, right? they it's look, great. They they get they get confused for each other a lot, right? Because they look quite similar. Do they? they I suppose of, they do a bit now. I think now. when they were younger. I think it's. Yeah. I think when they were younger, they kind. Of, if you see them, well, maybe Mendelssohn looks the same stature that Noah Taylor was, but in the year my voice broke, he seems stockier than Taylor. But yeah, I can see it in some, it particularly in Quigley actually, because he seems to have either lost weight or slimmed down or whatever. And of course, Mendelssohn, like you know. It has gone on to play numerous villains. He was great he's, in Star Wars. He's in, ev- he's in everything. He's in everything. He's in, he's in lots of things. He's in everything. He? You know, he's like five or six films a year. Yeah. Um, and so it was strange for me to see him here because I, I feel like I only know him as an actor in his like late forties, fifties kind yeah. of thing. And it, but it was really cool. It's always I love kind of when these kind of actors just pop up. You know. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else actually that stood out for you? Um, not really. I guess I think we've covered loads of ground here. Um, I guess the final thoughts would be for you anyway. Uh, when are you going to watch it next? <laughs> probably. It'll probably be a bit of a gap now, I think. Yeah. 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 I think I've seen it quite a lot in the last couple of years. So I'm going to give it a break. I think what it needs, actually, what the film needs is a really good Blu-ray release with lots of extras and stuff. Like the film didn't seem to have a massive box office success when it came out, but it's it got a massive following. Like it's, you know, it's gone into you know pulling a quigley is as as you've noted has gone into common parlance in the u.s yeah. military it seems to have a a broad following through the fact that the film has been frequently reshown on cable tv shows it's on lots of streaming uh services so i think it's a film that and like a lot of the actors keep getting asked about it um at different conventions and interviews and stuff so I think it's a film that has a following and I think it just deserves a better kind of uh, re-release almost uh, on some sort of home video format. So that's my feeling on it. I think it's a film that as a as a as a Western piece, I think it is a classic of the 90s stuff. A lot of the stuff in the 90s went down kind of a more serious route, uh, like Unforgiven, which is brilliant. Uh, But it's a it's one of those rare theatrically released films that really 
qualifies as a piece of adventure action. Um, like when it came out, Roger Ebert was saying, "Oh, geez, there hasn't really been a, a western for like oh five years." You know, Silverado. I read Pale that Rider, actually. Yeah, you know, that was that's strange. Yeah. You know, so it was coming at a time where there had been a dearth of westerns. Then there was kind of a resurgence of them with you know Dances with Wolves, Unforgiven, to an extent you might say, Last of the Mohicans, uh, Maver- Maverick. Stone. When was Maverick out? Ninety-six. Maverick is ninety-three or four. I'd say. Uh, yeah. 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 90, so like that early 90s you've got a glut of them as I said Tombstone the Wyatt Earp film as well with Kevin Costner yeah. so there's a glut around that period there's a glut of teeth of uh, um, turning out with television TNT uh, westerns as well uh, films with uh, Sam Elliott with uh, Selleck kind of in the mid 90s and most of them are worth checking out but uh, theatrically there's a dart then towards the end of the year of, of the decade um, so uh, I think it's one worth checking out if you're looking for an entertaining adventure piece and that's it, it, it's definitely one of the best your final thought okay I, I would Follow say that. I would say it's it's flawed mm-hmm. but worth a watch and if you're a Tom Selleck fan I definitely think it's worth a watch because he's had his quippy kind of I always find Tom Selleck quite like avuncular or something like that just kind of mm. kind of like you know kind of a a nice guy element to him um and i think uh as i said laura sanjay como although the character i kind of have issues with i think her performance is actually really good um, yeah so yeah I would, I'd say watch it but i wouldn't be i wouldn't watch it 25 times like yourself but i would definitely yeah, say watch it it is a beautiful looking film yeah <laughs> cool thank you very much for listening you can contact the show by emailing to extrareal at gmail.com Search for the Extra Real Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcast from.